Hello, and welcome to Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, but we know this is simply not true. This is a Canadian podcast about the myths, legends, and just good old stories Canada has to tell. I'm Canadian Girl. Thanks so much for joining me today on this true crime adventure here in Montreal. But first, like always, we have to talk about a little bit of that business stuff. If you are loving these adventures, please let me know by leaving a review or a comment on the app you're listening to. But most importantly, on Apple Podcasts, if you can. Every time we receive a lovely review or comment from one of you, not only does it make this Canadian Girl's Day, it also allows this little Canadian podcast to move around on the podcast charts so we can meet more awesome listeners just like you. Most recently, we were sitting at number 13 on the top 200 history podcasts on Apple in Argentina. Hello to my listeners in Argentina, and thanks so much for joining me on these Canadian adventures. The link to leave a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts can always be found in the show notes below. Also, if you are listening on the CastBox app, do reach out and say hello as I am actively on there too and would love to hear from you. If you want to help this channel out in an even bigger way, we have a lovely donation button thanks to PayPal that you can find on our webpage nothingcanada.com or the link is always in the show notes below. All donations made to the channel are always used to help improve the show and make it not only better for you, but for all our crew members around the world. And that's it for the business stuff right now. So why are we here in Montreal today, you ask? We are here to look at the 1972 robbery of the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts. Just after midnight, three masked men would make their way into the museum through an unarmed skylight on the roof and remove 18 paintings, including a rare Rembrandt landscape and 39 other pieces of jewelry. They would take off by foot into the night unseen by anyone. Within today's money, easily over $20 million in fine art and jewels tucked under their arms. Put your detective hats on, adjust that volume so it's just right so you don't miss a single clue as we look at the biggest unsolved art theft in Canadian history. Trigger warning here. This is a tale about a robbery, crimes are committed, guns are used, suicide is mentioned, and other criminal activities occur. If these moments may be triggering to you, please skip this adventure and head out on another one here on the channel. Alright, if you're sticking around, Let's get to this true crime adventure today here in Montreal. Our story starts in the early AM hours of Monday, September 4th, 1972, at the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts, located in what is known today as the Golden Square Mile because it was once home to some of the wealthiest families in Canada at the time. The museum sits on Sherbrooke Street and is the largest art gallery in Canada. It was Labor Day in 1972 as the city relaxed and enjoyed its day off for working so hard all year long. Three men with hoods pulled up tight would make their way through the streets in the early morning hours around 12 a.m. Most had already fallen asleep or for some 
may have just been going to bed on that holiday weekend. When one of the hooded men would climb a tree located next to the museum's west wall and make his way onto the roof. Here he would find a ladder that was being used by the construction crew who were working on the museum's skylight at the time. The hooded man lowered the ladder down to the two other men below and the pair swiftly joined the first man on the roof. The three hooded men then used a 15 meter or 49 foot nylon rope to shimmy down and made their way into the second floor of the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts through a skylight that was under repair. It also happened to be unarmed at the time, allowing the three men to make the perfect entrance, completely undetected around 12.30 a.m. They began collecting precious paintings and jewels as soon as they entered. About one hour into the heist, one of the men ran into a security guard who was on his way to the kitchen to make a tea. There was a quick confrontation that ended with the man in the hood and ski mask shooting two bullets straight into the museum ceiling. The man in the mask and the hood ordered the security guard to lie on the ground. Two more security guards came to see what was happening when they were quickly overtaken by the three masked men. The security guards were tied up, gagged, and left in the lecture hall of the museum. One masked man with a hood would stand on guard over the security guards in the lecture hall, while the other two men in hoods and masks continued the heist throughout the museum. The men clearly knew what they wanted, as they took mostly European artists from the 17th and 19th century. Most of the paintings were more of the smaller types, at just one foot or 31 centimeters long, not the big portrait types often found in museums. The men also did not seem to be interested in pieces that were worth so much more in value, like a Picasso, El Greco, two Goyas, a Renoir, and a Tintoretto that were all left behind. They shattered display cases, priceless antique frames that cannot be replaced or repaired, tore the galleries apart, ripping and tearing the paintings out of frames, and taking some of the museum's finest pieces from its collection, along with pieces from an exhibit that had been traveling across the US and Canada. Because it was Labor Day weekend, the board president, the director, and the director of security for the museum were all on vacation at the time, either in the US or Mexico. The most senior person around was the public relations director, Mr. Bill Banty. Then there was the renovations that were going on in the museum. All this left a huge weak spot in the museum's security, and the men took advantage of that fact. The two men collected 32 paintings and 39 pieces of jewelry. For about two and a half hours, they would stack all the paintings and the jewelry in the shipping area of the museum and came up with a plan to steal one of the museum's big loading trucks as they had taken the keys from one of the security guards for it. What they did not account for was the alarm on the side door as they made their way to load the art into the truck. Knowing they had to go, and they had to go quickly, with the alarm now blaring in the museum, They grabbed what they could 
filling their pockets with the jewels and the paintings tucked under both arms, making their way down Sherbrooke Street by foot in the wee early morning hours while everyone in downtown Montreal was fast asleep. With 18 paintings among them, a very rare Rembrandt landscape and 39 pieces of jewelry and other small figures, estimated to be about $2 million at the time worth of stolen precious art that would vanish and never be seen again. Before we go over what happened at the museum, let me tell you about a few other robberies that have happened at this same museum over the years. The very first robbery was on the night of Sunday, April 2nd, 1933. A man named Paul Thuin, I hope I'm saying that close to right, he hid in the museum overnight and passed 16 paintings out the window of the girls' bathroom. The paintings Mr. Thuin stole were mostly by Canadian artists. He too, like the hooded men in our tale, left more valuable paintings behind, another Rembrandt, a Da Vinci, and a Gainsborough. All worth about $3 million back then were left untouched. He then demanded a ransom of $10,000 from the museum for the painting's return. He waited three months when nothing came. Thuin then sent half of one of the stolen paintings to the museum and the other half to the French newspaper La Presse. That's right, Paul Thuin actually cut a precious piece of Canadian art in half, along with a note asking for a ransom of 25% of the value of the remaining paintings in his possession. The note ended by saying if the museum did not pay up, the paintings would be returned in tiny cut-up pieces. That same year, in September, Paul Thuin would be arrested for shooting a police officer while attempting to rob a rail car. During this arrest, he admitted to the theft at the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts in order to shave some time off for his crimes. Thuin did, in fact, take the police to the stolen paintings, which were buried in a hole one meter or three feet deep just northeast of Montreal. He was never given any time off for returning the paintings, which meant he would face all of his charges and time in prison. Trigger warning here if you want to skip ahead about 20 seconds. Shortly after this, Paul Thuin would take his own life in prison. In 1960, the museum was hit again, this time by a group of armed robbers who attempted to steal priceless Van Gogh paintings that were on display during a special exhibit. But the group were met by officers who interrupted their plans. The armed group did manage to escape and were never identified. On September 4, 2011, right in the middle of the day while the museum was open, two very valuable pieces from the museum's permanent collection were taken on the 39th anniversary of the 1972 theft that we are looking at today. A 5th century BC Persian bas-relief, which is a sculpting technique similar to that of a hieroglyph, as it is carved on a flat surface. And the second piece was a 1st century A.D. Roman marble statue. The 5th century B.C. Persian bas-relief was thankfully recovered three years later in Edmonton, Alberta. But sadly, the 1st century A.D. Roman marble statue has never been recovered.
There's a feeling we get when passing ghost stories around a fire or sharing legends of fantastical beasts, both amazing and terrifying. The mere mention of the otherworldly beings that surround us are enough to make even the bravest amongst us shudder with fear. But these stories are as essential to our cultures as the languages we speak and the food we share. These fables of the unknown have become an integral part of our history and the foundation of our society today. And as frightening as these creatures might seem, we cannot help but wonder what they are and where they come from. Stories of the supernatural, whether of spirit or beast, will always find a home within our minds. For nothing haunts us more than that which we cannot explain. Hello, my name is MJ McAdams, part-time shadow person, full-time supernatural seeker. Welcome to Humble Hauntings, where the lovers of the unknown can pull up a seat and make themselves at home. I invite you to join me on a quest to explore the supernatural creatures that have bound themselves to our history and unveil the world's most heart-stopping haunts. Haunts that could be as close as your front door. Because after all, home is where the haunt is. Have a favorite adventure here on the channel? Stop by the souvenir shop today and grab a mug, a towel, notebook, pillow, or even super popular right now in the shop, a face mask. All with your favorite adventures right on them so you can show off your love for Canadian myths, legends, and of course, your favorite Canadian podcast. Head to the souvenir shop today and grab a piece of your favorite adventure. You can find the link to the souvenir shop at nothingcanada.com or in the show notes below. That was a really great promo from our friend MJ McAdams from Humble Hauntings. You can check out her show in the links below and become one of her spookables. And of course, don't forget to check out our souvenir shop today. It's an awesome way to help support the channel and get something rad for yourself from your favorite adventure. But let's get back into this robbery and find out what our three men in hoods and ski masks made off with on the early morning hours of September 4th, 1972. They managed to grab 18 paintings between them. That's six paintings for each of them to carry and 39 pieces of jewels and such were taken as well, which is 13 pieces for each man to carry. They made their way to a sitting car just a ways down the street from the museum and got away, never to be seen again. Around 3 a.m., one of the security guards managed to free himself, and after freeing the others, he quickly called Mr. Bill Banty, the public relations director, who immediately told them to call the police. The damage was quickly assessed by the director, 
In the thieves' possession was a priceless rare black and white landscape with cottages by the famous Rembrandt. A landscape with cattle and vehicles which at the time was thought to be by Jean Bruhel the Elder, I hope I said that close to right, but later was determined to be by his students. Of the 18 paintings stolen, this will be the only one to be returned during the ransom negotiations, but we're not at that part just yet, so just hang on to that. The Dreaming Woman at the Fountain by Jean-Baptiste Camille Carat. Again, I hope I said that close to right. A landscape with rocks and a stream by Gustave Courbet. The Lioness and Lion in a Cave by Eugene Relcroix. Again, I'm trying my best. Head of a Young Man by Peter Pauls Rubens. A 19th century blue enamel latchbox set with diamonds. Two 17th century Spanish pendants and an 18th century gold watch that was once owned by the first mayor of Montreal, Jacques Vigor's wife, just to name a few of the precious pieces stolen during the heist. At the time, it was estimated to be about $2 million in fine art and jewels that had been removed from the museum. In today's money, it would be well over $20 million, making this the largest art theft in Canada at the time and still to this day in Canadian history. To see a stack of the art left behind by the thieves, including a Picasso, and a picture of the skylight where they entered, see the show notes below or visit nothingcanada.com to check out the show notes section. A big shout out to canadianart.ca where we found most of our information today for this tale. In fact, if the trio would have made off with the intended other 14 paintings that they left behind, the loss to the museum would have been utterly catastrophic and would have most likely forced the museum to shut its doors. 48 years later, the suspects have never been caught or even had a name mentioned in a paper. People have pointed at the Montreal Mafia and Quebec separatists, but nothing has ever come of any of it. Just weeks before the robbery, Security guards at the museum noted a pair of men who were always smoking on the adjacent rooftop that overlooked the museums, but after the robbery, the pair were never seen again. The hooded men who entered the museum that night on September the 4th, 1972, are described as being 5 foot 6 inches tall. They had long hair coming out the bottom of their ski masks and dark hoods pulled up tight and were armed with guns. One man spoke English and the other two men spoke French. The guards claimed to only have seen two of the men. One of the men was English and one of the men was French. Third French man never came into view of the museum's security guards. They were all believed to be local men by their dialect and accents. They had knowledge of the area and it's believed they knew the museum was under construction. And they may have even knew that many of the top staff members were in fact away that holiday weekend. Just one week earlier, on August 30th, 1972, three hooded men with ski masks would enter the Oka Summer Estate just 30 kilometers or 20 miles west of Montreal. It was the estate of the trucking and storage businessman 
known in the Montreal area, Angus Meldrum. They tied up the gardener and climbed down a 60-foot cliff, according to the Montreal Gazette, into a waiting boat, into the lake of two mountains, and took off with their loot. $50,000 in paintings torn right from the estate's walls. Again, in this case, it was stated that there was three suspects who entered the estates, two spoke French that sounded of local dialect, and the third man spoke English, just like in our tale today. The police decided in the end the two robberies were not related, but this conclusion has left many scratching their heads still. There's just too many similarities between the two. Now let's take a look at how this ransom request played out. Within one week of the robbery, Museum Director of Security David Giles Carter would receive a phone call from a man with a European voice he described it as that directed him to go to a nearby payphone at McGill University at the corner of Metcalf and Sherbrooke just down the street. There, Carter received another phone call that told him what to look for. He found one of the 39 pieces of stolen jewelry a pendant hidden in a discarded cigarette pack on the ground. Then, it wasn't until October 26, 1972, a whole month later after the robbery, an envelope stamped with the Port of Montreal, a notorious area known to be run by the West End Gang, an Irish crime group, was received at the museum and it contained photos of the stolen paintings laid out in an unknown room. A request for $500,000 for the painting's return was also inside. During negotiations, they later agreed to accept just $250,000, less than a quarter of the art's estimated value. The museum director of security demanded more proof that the paintings were still intact and that the photos were real. When he was then instructed by the thieves to head to a locker at the Montreal Central Station, here he recovered the landscape with cattle and vehicles, which at the time was thought to be by Jean Brugel the Elder. To date, it is the only one of the 18 paintings ever recovered from that night. As of today, and according to CanadianArt.ca, the painting remains off display and is kept safely in an off-site storage. And if any of the paintings are ever discovered now, they no longer belong to the museum. They are the property of the insurance company, sadly. After the painting was returned, there was another small sting operation that was set up to buy another painting back for $5,000. When an unknowing officer drove through the sting operation, he blew the whole cover, and they did not hear anything more for the rest of the year. There was also a small cat-and-mouse chase in 1973, from payphone to payphone for a ransom of $10,000 claiming that they would return the stolen art. The caller collected the $10,000 and sent the police to Laval, Quebec, just north of Montreal, to a hotel that was searched but nothing was ever recovered, and the caller was never ever heard from again. So who are the suspects you're asking, right? What I can tell you, police cleared all museum staff and the skylight construction crew that were helping renovate the museum at the time. All parties were scrutinized up and down, left and right, till every minute of their moments were accounted for on the night and early morning of September 4th, 1972. And they were all cleared as to having no part in the heist. But we all know police can be wrong. 
I'm just saying. It was also pointed out the failed attempt to leave the museum not knowing the side door would set off an alarm, along with some of the more valuable paintings that were left behind, all helped to clear employees of being involved. There was absolutely no fingerprints found at the scene leading investigators to believe the crew is very professional and had made many robberies before. Rumors circle about every now and again that the paintings are hanging in living rooms in Costa Rica or possibly even Italy. Some may or may not know what they even are by now, simply being passed down as a family heirloom. Early on in the investigation, a group of five students were looked at who attended a local fine arts school nearby. While four of the students were cleared or simply fell off the radar, one remained a very suspicious suspect. They referred to him as a student named Smith. After just a quick conversation with Smith, detectives believed he knew more than what he was letting on. The thing that caught their attention the most was that he knew the rope used in the heist to climb down from the skylight was yellow, just like the ones at his school. The color of the rope had always been held back by detectives, a strategy detectives used to catch the real criminals and weed out the liars. Even more curious, after finishing a five-year course at school, Smith immediately would buy a house and a woodworking business for an estimated quarter million dollars. Smith even taunted a detective once telling him he'd tell him one day about the robbery. In 2007, one of the detectives from the case and Radio Canada went to Smith's house and offered him $1 million on camera to give up info on the paintings. Smith simply laughed and invited the cameras into his house to have a look around for themselves. One year after this visit, Smith would send the detective an email with a YouTube video to a Mercedes commercial from Hong Kong that shows men stealing a briefcase from a vault, getting into a Mercedes and driving away, and they leave the briefcase behind. The camera then pans to see what's in the briefcase, and it's a long-lost stolen Da Vinci painting. That's very cheeky, Mr. Smith, and in my opinion, that says it all. I'm Canadian Girl. Until next time, my friends. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. Head over to straightupstrange.com today and check out the rest of the Straight Up Strange family. And there's also some really awesome new merch. That's straightupstrange.com to see all the high strangeness going on. You guys who always hang around to the very end are the best kind of people out there. I hope you are staying safe and enjoying those last few days of summer. They don't last very long. I'm Canadian Girl.